Today we're continuing our series called Family Matters and we're going to talk about a very important topic, family finances. And here's what I'd like to do. Because we're going to be talking about money, I want to give you some so you can hold it in your hand. So I've got some people who have some money. It's in baskets. If you want to start passing that out. Um, I have some money up here too. I'm going to give this to the people in the front row. Now this is not a clever way to increase church attendance or to have more people sit up front, but a $10 bill like that? Okay, I got some tens and some fives. All right, now here's what I want us to be able to do. Yeah, just please take some money and hold it in your hand. All right, this feels kind of weird, doesn't it? See, we don't pass an offering here. We just give you money, okay? Who needs some more money? All right, all right. Of course, we're going to be talking about God's plan for our finances today. Okay, here we go. All right, you got, well, you got a lot of money. You got more than most, okay. Now, at the end of the service, who needs money over here? You guys need some money? Oh, well, there you go. Don't be bashful. There you go, Margarita. All right, there we go. Oh, you got some? Here's some more. All right. Now, at the end of the service today, I'm going to actually talk about what you can choose to do with your money. In fact, I'm going to leave all this money right by Gail, right there. And she can choose. Gail, you can choose what to do with that money at the end of our service today. Now, here's something we really need to understand. We all have assumptions about money. Isn't that true? And sometimes those assumptions are correct and sometimes they're incorrect. And those assumptions come from many places. Sometimes they come from our family or our friends or from media or from our culture. There was an article that I saw with this title that said, what women really want, spoil your baby with bling and she will love you forever. Now, how many of you know what the word bling means? All right, that's a relatively new word to our vocabulary. It was actually coined by a rap group in New Orleans called Cash Money Millionaires. And bling, as you know, is when you have a whole lot of jewelry or accessories. And it's really interesting to me that our culture not only shapes our assumptions about money, but even the way we talk about money. Now, as we explore this world of finance this morning, we know this, that money is a very important part of our lives. And as you read the Bible, you discover that Jesus talked a lot about money. I was listening to a message this week um, from Pastor Tim Keller, and he was talking about, you know, how Jesus talked so much about money, and he said, you know, if I talked about money as much as Jesus did, I'd probably lose my job. But here's the thing, Jesus talked about money so much because he wants us to have the right assumptions about money. And this is really important because our assumptions about money determine our behavior with money. And what many American families have done with their money, both inside and outside the church, has produced a lot of confusion as well as a lot of financial pressure. Um, some of you are familiar with the name Dave Ramsey. How many have heard of Dave Ramsey and his ministry? Um, Financial Peace University. I was on his website and I saw this statistic that really grabbed my attention, it, it said this, 78% of American families are living from paycheck to paycheck. So we know there's a lot of financial pressure and a lot of financial confusion. Now, when it comes to money, have you ever found yourself asking questions like this, where did it all go? Ever asked that? You're filling out your tax return and hopefully listing all of your sources of income and you wonder, man, that's a big number, where did that all go? Or how about this question? How did I get into this much debt? Ever wonder that question? The answer to that question? 
We call it consumer debt because one of the behaviors that drives people into debt is constant consuming of things in our culture. It's like the man whose wife lost her credit card and um, he didn't do anything about it. And a few months later, the company calls him up and says, hey, sir, um, your wife's credit card um, has been stolen and used by somebody else. Why did you wait so long to report it? And he said, well, because the guy who stole it is using it a lot less than my wife did, so I thought it was a better deal. <laughs> and then there's this question, why, why is it so hard to be content with what I have? Ever ask yourself that question? Because listen, you know, I bought this electronic device and I thought this is the last one I'll ever need. But I just saw the new one that came out and I gotta have that one. This morning, I want us all to take a serious look at our assumptions about money because those assumptions may or may not be true. And I realize this. Now, some of you may be relatively new to our church family and you really don't know me very well. You don't know my heart. And, and I know that when you go to church and the pastor's gonna talk about money, that sometimes it makes people nervous and even uncomfortable. It's like the, the little girl who's sitting in church next to her mom and the pastor is going on and on and on and she says, Mommy, Mommy, if we give him the money now, will he let us go? <laughs> Listen, I wanna say something really important about the message today because you know, I've been on the other side of this um, giving message. I've been where you are before. And so often my perspective was, hey, what does a pastor want from me? Well, this message is about what I want for you. And what I want for you is to see money, the money that you're holding in your hand, all the money that God has entrusted to you, I want you to see that money from God's perspective. And here's why that is so important. You know, if you, if you come to me and say, hey, Pastor Dudley, I'm having some challenges in my marriage. I'm going to take you to the book and try to help you see marriage from God's perspective because that changes everything. If you're a parent and you're having issues with your teenager and you say, hey, I need some help, we're going to go to the book, we're going to look at parenting and what the scripture says because I want you to have God's perspective. If you've got financial issues in your life, you should do the same thing. Go to the book and get God's perspective because regardless of the issue, here's what happens. When you get God's perspective on any subject, it changes what you think, it changes how you feel, and it changes what you do. And that's true for money. When you get God's perspective on money, it'll change the way you think about money, how you feel about money, and what you do with money. Now, with that in mind, let's begin with this question on your outline. Why did Jesus talk so much about money and about God's plan for our finances? Somebody figured out one time that there are 2,350 verses about money in the Bible. Now, that's a lot of verses, isn't it? And somebody else figured this out one time, that Jesus actually taught more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. So why? What is the big deal about money and possessions? Well, let me give you three good reasons that Jesus talks so much about money. And here's the first. It's on your outline. Because how we handle money impacts our relationship with God. How we handle money impacts our relationship with God. Friends, there is a strong link, a direct link between faith and finances. What you believe about God determines what you do with money. There's a really interesting story, this is in Luke's Gospel, about this tax collector. His name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has this close encounter with Christ, and it changes everything. Now look at what Zacchaeus says to Jesus. He says, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And what does Jesus say to him? 
Today, salvation has come to this house. You see, after Zacchaeus met Jesus, his approach to money was radically changed. Why? Because his heart had been radically changed. See, our approach to money and possessions is not just important. It's at the very center of our spiritual lives. Let me say that again. Our approach to money and possessions is not just important. It's at the very center of our spiritual lives because money impacts our relationship with God. Now, here's another thing that I'd like you to see um, in terms of why Jesus talked about money so much. Because God wants first place in our lives and money is his chief competitor. God wants first place in your life. There's another story. This is in Matthew's gospel about this, this very wealthy young guy who comes to Jesus one day and he's a, a spiritual seeker and he has this question for Jesus. He says, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? Now Jesus gives him what seems to be a pretty strange answer because this is what Jesus says to him in Matthew 19. Uh, Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now why does Jesus say this? Well, because Jesus is able to look into this young man's heart and realize that his idol, the one thing that he's most concerned about is wealth and his possessions. And unless he dethrones that idol, he will never become a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, look at these words of Jesus. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You should not serve both God and money. What does it say? Cannot. Good. I'm glad you're paying attention. Jesus said, look, here's the deal. You cannot serve both God and money. I was reading this week about the Crusades that took place back in the 12th century. And man, there were some really sad things that happened during the Crusades. But one of the things I was reading about is how people were enlisted to fight in the Crusades. And so they would actually go out and recruit these mercenaries to fight. And because this was regarded as a a religious war, a holy war, if you were a mercenary, before you could enter the battle, you had to be baptized. Now, what was interesting is that the mercenaries, when they were going under the water, they would actually do this. They would hold their sword out of the water. And here's what they were saying. Okay, you can baptize me and talk about being committed to Christ, but you know what? I'm going to do what I want with my sword. This is not coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There are times when people say, hey Jesus, I'm going to sign up to follow you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. But Jesus, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to hold my wallet out of the water because this is my money and I'm going to do with it what I choose. Friends, listen, how you handle money will do one of two things. It will draw you closer to Jesus or pull you away from Jesus. Because here's the reality. You can't be a fully devoted follower of Christ and refuse to allow your faith to impact your finances. Here's one more reason that Jesus taught so much about money. Because money affects so many areas of our lives. And we all know this. Especially our relationships. There was a college student who had the following message on his voicemail recording. Hi, this is Fred. If it's a phone company, I sent the money. If it's mom or dad please send me more money. If it's a financial aid office, you didn't loan me enough money. If it's my girlfriend, hey, um, leave a message and don't worry, I have plenty of money. Think about how many hours in a typical day we are engaged in making money, spending money, talking about money, worrying about money. It affects so many areas of our lives. Isn't that true? 
And this morning, if you have some financial concerns in your life, or maybe your concern is looking down the road, you're, you're concerned about what the future is going to look like, you know, how do I get the kids through college and how do I plan for retirement and how do I afford long-term care, all these different things. Maybe today you just want to do a better job of, of managing your money. Or maybe you're a parent and you want your kids to really learn what to do so they can manage money well. Listen, if any of those things apply to you, and I think those kinds of things apply to all of us, then I want you to consider this question. What are the benefits? This is on your outline. What are the benefits of following God's plan for our finances? Because there are some really important benefits, and here's the first. You will have a closer relationship with Christ. When you follow God's plan for your finances, it will draw you closer to Jesus. Jesus told a story one time about this this wealthy man who goes on a trip and he has three servants and he brings them together and he gives them a certain amount of money to manage for him while he's gone. And when he comes back, two of those servants had done a really good job. And this is what happens in the conversation that he has with his servants. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And notice this last statement. Come and share your master's happiness. When we handle money God's way, we share in our master's happiness. We share in the joy that Jesus alone can bring us. So we really have a closer relationship with Christ. Now here's another benefit. You will see a change in your character. You handle money God's way, you will definitely see a change in your character. You know the old saying that money talks? Let me ask you this. If somebody were to look at your credit card statements this last month or your bank statement or your checkbook, what would your money say about you and about your priorities? Jesus said this, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And I will tell you this from from personal experience. The more you follow God's plan for your finances, the more God is going to shape your heart, change your character, and make you like Jesus. Here's another benefit of following God's plan. Number three, you will experience the peace of having your financial world in order. One of the greatest causes of anxiety is worrying about what? Money. And what's the, what's the most common worry about money? You guys know what it is. What is it? I don't have enough. I won't have enough. It's like the guy was talking to his friend. He says, I never worry about money. His friend said, really? He says, oh yeah, I have enough money to last me the rest of my life as long as I die by next Tuesday. (laughs) Listen, when it comes to worrying about money, this is what you find when you follow God's plan for your finances. You find that God is faithful. God is always faithful. And as you see God keep his promise to provide whatever is necessary to accomplish his purpose for your life, your trust goes up and what happens to your anxiety? It plummets, it goes down. Here is such a powerful verse in the book of Isaiah. It says this, speaking of God, God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trusting God to provide what we need leads to peace. Now here's one more very important benefit of following God's plan for your finances. And this is something that affects us collectively. The church, and again the church is not a building, the church is people, the church will become more effective in carrying out Christ's mission in the world. When we get God's perspective on finances, we will become more effective in carrying out Christ's mission in the world. 
want you to see some verses that, that Jesus um, shared. He was teaching. Again, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, but seek first his kingdom. Whose kingdom? He's talking about God's kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The things you worry about. Food and clothing and shelter, all this stuff. And all these things will be given to you as well. Church, listen, you've heard me say this so many times. The local church is the hope of the world. And that's true. I believe that with all my heart. But I also know this. The local church is the hope of the world and its ability to carry out Christ's mission in this world depends largely on the generosity of God's people. People who are willing to invest their time and their talents and their financial resources in the advancement of God's kingdom. Now, now think about this. What would happen here at Boynton Beach Community Church if all of us had God's perspective on money? What would happen? See, here's the thing, and again, it's the big idea. When you get God's perspective on anything, it changes how you think about money, how you feel about money, and what you do with money. Some of you are thinking, well, okay, I got that, but what is God's perspective on money? Would you please tell me? Yes, I'm going to right now in the time we have left, and I want to break it down into two parts, God's part and our part. So what is God's part when it comes to money and financial resources? Well, the first thing, the first part is ownership. Ownership. Look at these verses from First Chronicles. It says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. See, the Bible's clear that God owns everything. That means that your stuff is not really your stuff. Who does it belong to? Okay, that wasn't very enthusiastic, but <laughs> let, let me drill down on this just a little bit, okay? Let's say you have a two-year-old child and that child is playing with a toy, and you try to take that toy from that child, there's a good chance you're going to encounter some resistance, and you will hear one word in protest. Mine! That toy is mine! Or how about this? This is a, a personal illustration. You're a dad, and you drive your um, child to McDonald's back in the day when they had Happy Meals. So you get that Happy Meal, and of course, Happy Meal has some French fries. Now, you, you took your child in your car, right? You paid for the car, you paid for the gas, you paid for the Happy Meal, and you reach across the table to get a fry. And your child looks at you with this look that says, are you serious? Those fries are, doggone right they are. See, kids get confused about who owns their stuff. Do we ever get confused about who owns our stuff? Yes, we do, because we like our stuff. We do, right? We, we buy stuff, we sell stuff, we um, insure it, we auction it on eBay. We compare our stuff with how much stuff other people have. And sometimes people's main pursuit in life is to just get more and more stuff because the bigger our pile of stuff, then the more happiness we will experience, the more important we will feel, the more significant we will be. I remember hearing a really funny monologue by George Carlin, um, the comedian, about stuff. And he said, did you know that a house is just a big pile of stuff with a cover over it? Let me um, just point this, this out. God's the owner of all our stuff. And Jesus affirms that. Because he says that the call to follow me involves giving up the claim to ownership of all your stuff. Now, I want to show this verse to you. This is Luke 14. 
Jesus said, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And you read that and you go, what? What does that mean? If I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to give up everything I have? I don't get that. Well, here's what it means. Following Jesus involves a change in perspective. It's like a transfer of ownership. Jesus, I'm going to follow you and all the stuff that I thought was mine, hey, it's yours. And you can do anything you want with it because I get it. I don't own this stuff. You own this stuff. And, And church... This is incredibly practical. And and this is where peace and freedom really comes from, knowing that God owns all our stuff. Because what would happen if you really believed that? You look at, you know, your house. It's not your house, it's God's house, God's car, God's cash, God's investment account. I mean, think about this. If you follow the stock market, you know what it looks like, right? Like an EKG. If the stock market drops 500 points, you could just say, hey, God, look what happened to your investment account. I guess you're going to have to do something about it, God. Or how about this? You get the latest, greatest electronic device. And somebody in your family inadvertently steps on it and crushes it. And you go, oh, God, look what happened to your iPhone. (laughs) Or you go out in the parking lot and you just got a new car and somebody keys the side of the car and you go, hey, God, (laughs) look what happened to your car. Guess you're going to have to use some of your money and get it fixed. See how that works? It frees us up. Now, One of God's responsibilities in this money equation is what? What's the first thing? God's part? Ownership? Here's the other. Provision. Provision. Look at this promise of Scripture. The Apostle Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And again, how would our lives change if we really believe that? You know, I've been following Jesus for, well, a lot of years now. And one of the things that I've come to understand is that, you know, God sees my life like a map on the wall. He sees the beginning and the middle, and he he sees the end. He knows his plan for me. And as I read the scripture, I understand that God is a father who loves me, and he is committed to providing everything I need to accomplish his purpose for me, to carry out his plan for me. How would it change your life if you really, really believe that? If you believe that God owned everything, and that God will provide all that you need. Because that's his part. Now, let's transition to our part. What is our part in this money deal? Well, first of all, our part is stewardship. Not a common word, but let's take a look at this verse from 1 Corinthians. It says, now, a person who is put in charge as a manager, some translations say steward, must be faithful. So a steward, a manager, same thing. So stewardship is just managing somebody else's stuff. In this case, we're managing God's stuff. And here's something we really need to remember. As we manage God's stuff, because it doesn't belong to us, God is watching to see how well we manage his stuff. And here is a really important verse. Look at this, Luke 16. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. This week I read that verse and I just stopped and I thought, Lord, over the course of my life, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to to my managing your possessions? And the verse goes on. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. 
These verses show us that God is watching how we manage his stuff, and you might say, well, that sounds like a test. <laughs> you bet it is. It's a test of how much we actually trust God and how much we're willing to obey him. And, and listen, this passage is real clear. One day, when you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to ask you to give an account of your life, and part of that is what you did with God's stuff. And as your pastor, I want that day to be one of joy, not one of regret. And I will tell you this, when you read the, the book, when you look at God's financial plan, one of the things you discover is that, you know what? You can't take it with you. Isn't that true? I had a friend who used to say, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. Yeah, you don't. That's right, because you can't take it with you. But you can send it up ahead. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he says, hey, look, don't store up treasure here on earth, because if you do, people will steal it, and it'll rust, and moths will eat it up. So what you should do is store up treasure in heaven. Use your temporary stuff for an eternal purpose that will outlive you and outlast you. And church, it's really important to know that now rather than finding out later. Because imagine this, and this, this is just an imaginary scene, but just go with me. Are you ready? Let's say that you die, you go to heaven. And you're met there by St. Peter, and St. Peter says, oh, welcome to heaven, let me show you your house. So you follow St. Peter and you walk up the sidewalk to your house and you think, well, that's a nice house. And then you look to your left and you see this other house. And this is, whoa, now that's a house. And out the front door comes somebody here from Boynton Beach Community Church. And you recognize them. And this is somebody who understands this principle that you can't take it with you, but you can send it up ahead, that you can take your temporary stuff and use it for eternal purposes. And that's what they've been doing for decades and there on the porch of their house are all these people gathered around and they're saying, hey, thank you for, for using your stuff for God's purposes because I heard about Jesus and I gave my life to him. Thank you so much. And, and you say to your neighbor, Psst, come here, come here. So you have this little sidebar with your neighbor and you say, hey, I got a question. Who told you about this send it up ahead stuff? And they say, well, Pastor Dudley told me. Didn't he tell you? And you say, no, where is he? Now listen, when I get to heaven, I don't want anybody tracking me down <laughs> and saying, hey, pastor, you never told me about this fact that I could use my temporary stuff for eternal purposes. Man, if I'd known that, I would have done something different with my money. So here's the deal. Now you know. And what you do with that knowledge is your deal, your choice. All right, here's, here's one more thing that's our part. What was the first part? Stewardship, here's the second, generous giving. Look at these verses written by Paul. He says this, And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that true? That in giving we find joy. And Jesus also taught this, that the motivation for giving should be love. In fact, think about arguably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. It's actually a quote from Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. When you love, you give. God loved us, he gave us his son. So what does that mean for us? Well, that means that our love for God or love for people should motivate our giving. And look at this verse. This is from 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter in the Bible. Often read at weddings. But notice this part isn't usually read. If I give all I possess to the poor, now that'd be pretty commendable. I mean, seriously, what if somebody gives all they have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames? That's a reference to martyrdom. 
I die as a martyr for Jesus. If I do that, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, giving that pleases God is giving in response to his love. It's really that simple. And here's what will help us see that more clearly than anything else. You know what kind of glasses these are? You probably know this, right? You know it. These are gospel glasses. And here's why I have to wear my gospel glasses all the time. Because the ultimate answer, the ultimate solution for every problem and every pressure and every, everything in your life is the gospel. So if I put, up, put on my gospel glasses and look at money, oh, what's the deal? Well, here's what I see when I put on my gospel glasses. God loves me. I mean, he really loves me. Because when I was lost, he sent Jesus to find me. Because I had a sinful heart. I was disconnected from God. And I knew that, that God was going to punish me for my sins because that's what I deserved. But God said, you know what? I love you. And so I sent my son to die for you. And on a cross, I was willing to put your sin on Jesus and punish him in your place, Dudley. And now you have a choice. Will you follow me? You see, the reason that, that we love Jesus is that he loved us first. That's exactly what the Bible says. We love him because he first loved us. And it was because Jesus loved me that I said, hey, Jesus, I love you too. Thank you for dying for me. And see, our whole life as a follower of Jesus Christ is this thank you note, this love letter to Jesus. Everything we do should be motivated by love, including how we give. Remember hearing a pastor one time talking about tithing, this idea of giving 10% of your income to God. And he said something that absolutely arrested my attention. This is a lot of years ago. He said this, I just don't get it. He said, how can somebody say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I trust God with my life, with my soul, with my eternal destiny. I know that God loves me, but I don't trust him enough to give him 10% of what he's given me. He, he said, this pastor said, how does that make any sense whatsoever? And he pointed out, it's because we're blind. It's because we don't have God's perspective on money and possessions. Because if we did, that wouldn't be the case. Because when you get God's perspective, it changes what you think about money, how you feel about money, and what you do with money. And church, here's my, my encouragement, my challenge to all of us, not just to you, but to me. You know, so many times I've been sitting in church, and, and I'll listen to a message, and get up and go through the doors and think, hey, that's a nice message, and then go on with my life. I really hope that that won't happen today. I hope that doesn't happen any Sunday. I pray all the time that what you hear in this place will transform your heart. That is the goal of Jesus' teaching, by the way, the transformation of the human heart. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you look at your Bible study outline, if you flip it over, there's a devotional guide. I write that every week that I speak because I want you to take what you've heard on Sunday morning and just think about it, pray about it, talk about it throughout the week. So when it comes to this topic of finances, I encourage you to do that. If you're married, talk about it with your spouse. If you have kids, bring them into the conversation. Because I, I know this, God's going to do his part. I'm absolutely convinced of that. The question is, will we? Will we do our part? So think about it, pray about it, and talk to God and say, God, could I be a better manager of your money? Because it's not my stuff, it's your stuff. God, could I be more generous? Could I make sacrifices to advance your kingdom? To, to help people understand how much you love them so that they can come home to you. And church, let me just say this. If you're facing some financial 
pressure and issues in your life, there's a resource at the bottom of your outline. It's actually the handbook for Financial Peace University. It's Dave Ramsey's Complete Guide to Money. There's a ton of information there. Intensely practical and biblical. So I just commend that to you. But let me just, let me just say this. Um, most of you have some money in your hand right now. Here's what I want you to do with that money. Every time this week that you have a financial decision, and you'll have many financial decisions. You'll have some when you walk out the door today. I want you to realize that the money that you have was placed in your hand by God. And every single time that you have a financial decision, you can stop and say three words. Here's my chance. Here's my chance to do what honors God. Here's my chance to bring joy to God's heart. Here's my chance to show God how much I love him and trust him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for this truth that, that transforms us. And God, I know this because you tell us this in your word that really there's only two ways to live. We can live in fear or we can live in faith. And that comes to everything, God, and even money. I mean, we can live in the fear that we won't have enough, or we can live in faith knowing that you'll provide everything necessary to accomplish your purpose. And Father, I know that when it comes to your part, you're going to hold up your end of the, of the deal. You always have and you always will. But God, the question is, will we? And I pray that you will give us wisdom, that you will give us courage to be good managers, to be joyfully generous with all the stuff you've entrusted to us. Lord, I pray this too, that we won't just set aside what we've learned today. I pray that we'll take an honest look at our hearts, God, because you know that that is what you're up to. You're, you're changing us and making us more like your son. And Father, you know my heart. God, that for so many years as a pastor, I was reticent to talk about money. But not anymore, God. Because Jesus, I understand why you taught about money so much. Because you wanted how we use our possessions to draw us closer to you and closer to our Father and meet the needs of people. God, so many benefits. It helps the church carry out its mission in this world. So God, would you please do this? Would you open our eyes so that we will see everything from your point of view? And God, today, for those who are going through some tough times financially, I, I just pray that they'll turn to you, that they'll trust in you, and that you will prove yourself faithful. I know that you will, God. And Lord, help us to put on these gospel glasses. Help us to realize that we are loved with an overwhelming love. And God, maybe somebody today, even though this message is on finances, they've realized, hey, I've never trusted Jesus. I, I've never decided to follow him. God, I pray that today that person would just say, God, I need you. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I believe Jesus died for me. And Jesus, I just want to give you my life. Thank you for loving me first. I love you back. And God, today, as we stand and sing this last song, I pray that you'd help us to say to ourselves and to the world, I'm no longer a slave to fear for any reason because I'm a child of God.